It is uh, great to be back. Robin and I very much enjoyed our time away, but it's also a, a wonderful blessing to be back here with all of you. Let me mention a few things that we need to have on our minds. One is that on uh, next Saturday morning, we will have the garage sale here for the teens, and so I really encourage you to bring your stuff this week. And it's always nice when people bring their stuff the last week rather than three weeks before or something so we don't have to store it. And uh, so you can bring your stuff now. We'd love to have you do so. And we'll have the garage sale next Saturday. And that'll be a blessing as our teens prepare for future mission trips and things like that. Also on June 14th, which is the following Sunday, we're going to have the grad banquet. Uh, There's a few that are graduating and we want to honor them and bless them. And so we pray that uh, all success on them. And you're welcome to come to that. If you want to come to the grad banquet, you can purchase tickets from Dustin, and he is ready to receive your money and give you the privilege of coming to the grad banquet. We also have a serve day coming up on June 13th uh, in the morning. So if you want to be of service to your community and bless some people here that uh, in our community that need some assistance, we're going to choose six specific homes to go to. There's a sign-up sheet uh, in the foyer that you can sign up for. We'd love to have you sign up, and we'll just spend a few hours just serving those in our community and bless them with the privilege of, uh, of Christ's service. And we pray that you are involved with that. Uh, I wanted to mention that Matthew Bennett Clark has made an appearance in our world. And so Jordan and Carrie are proudly uh, wanting to announce that, the fact that he was born on Tuesday, May 26th at 8 p.m. Uh, I say Carrie and uh, Jordan, but there are others in this room who are intimately associated with this family who are blessed as well. And so we're grateful that they have a chance to also be blessed with Matthew Bennett Clark's appearance. Nine pounds, nine ounces, 23 inches long. Isn't 23 inches long kind of long? That's what I thought. Yeah. Born on May 26th, and we're just so happy and just praise the Lord uh, that he has a chance to be here, for sure. And they're doing well. Mother and baby are doing well. You know, we have, we have actually, uh, we've had some babies born, and we have parents who are so proud and, and happy of that. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a rich blessing to be parents. Ryder Neal is here this morning. Ryder, stand up with your mom and say hello. It's just so sweet and wonderful when God blesses families with children, and we're so grateful for that at this time. I also wanted to mention that, uh, as some of you know, uh, that Carol's cancer has returned, and she's going to be having surgery on June 9th uh, to remove that, and so we want to be praying for that for sure. Keep that on your mind. It's in your prayer reminders, and and we just ask that you continue to remember that family. Uh, And Carol, we are thinking of you and praying for you. And we know that God's going to bless you on June 9th for sure. And then I thought I would just mention that Katie Murphy is back among us today. (laughs) Katie, it's it's good to have you here for sure. I know you uh, enjoyed your trip away, but glad to have you back. Very good to have you here. Nice to have you singing this morning. So uh, Robin and I had the wonderful blessing of being able to go to uh, Europe for the last few weeks. You know, last summer was an interesting time for us with her mom coming and and being with us for uh, five and a half months or so. And she's actually going to come again. Uh, she's she's going to come and be with us uh, in the middle of August and probably be with us through the end of the year. And so we're preparing for that as well. And so this trip was kind of both... Uh, 
looking back and what we didn't get to enjoy last year with our 35th anniversary that we didn't really get to celebrate. Uh, and then our son also was graduating from nursing school. And so we went to Europe with them and so celebrated the graduation and then celebrated our anniversary at the same time. And all of that was kind of in, in anticipation of what's going to be taking place in our lives from August through at least December or so as well. So I, I'd appreciate you praying uh, about all of that. It was, a, it was a, a rich blessing for us to be able to go on this trip. You know, one of the things that has happened to me, I discovered o- over the last uh, few weeks here, is that I have become old. And it, it happened actually rather suddenly. I didn't, it, like, I didn't really think it was happening, but it, like, it seems as though I've become old. I have become, and some of you who are older and whose kids love you, but they still like to make fun of you, I have become the butt of my children's jokes. Like, what is this about? I don't get it. And so I would do things on this trip that I thought were quite reasonable and find my son and his wife snickering at the old man and his activities, his actions. I thought that was kind of disrespectful and rude. One of the things that happened was I I told them before we went on the trip, I said, you know, I've studied a little bit of German. And, uh, and I said, you know, I, at least I can read a few signs and, you know, if we need something, I might be able to ask where the, you know, where the washroom is and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, we might be okay, you know, in trying to get around a bit. Well, when we got there, it was very clear to them and actually to me as well that I don't know German at all. Okay. It it was totally a mistake on my part to think that I could have in any way conducted myself in Germany. It's, it's actually funny because just a few weeks prior to going to the trip, I had, I'd had to ask for some transcript from the school that I'd gone to in Texas before I came here. And I get the transcript back, and the transcript, the transcript actually says that I've taken two semesters of German. My transcript says that. I looked at it, I was like, well, very good, Kelly. <laughs> Way to go. I had no idea. So my, I, my transcript says I've had two semesters of German, and it's obviously not true. <laughs> from from this trip so they t- they just wouldn't let it go you know every time somebody would speak to us in german and i try and do something with it you know or i try it at a restaurant i try and say something in german you know and they would not drop it it was just constant laughter at my expense about my pathetic attempts so we're on a train at one point um traveling somewhere and, and there weren't very many people in the car and i looked across the the car and there's this young good-looking gentleman across the aisle from us and I thought well you know we'll talk to this guy and most most people there know some English so I started talking to him in English and he spoke back in English and it turned out that he was an MP from Sweden and he was on a trip on behalf of the Swedish government and he'd gone to a weather station way up in the mountains in the Alps and he'd you know done some research for them and now he was traveling around he was going to France and I I think after after he left us and then he was headed back to Sweden. Well, it turns out that I actually know a little bit of Swedish. <laughs> or at least I thought I did. So, and, and the, reason, the reason why is because my mother, when, uh, like my mother was uh, full-blooded Swede, and she spoke Swedish to friends around sometimes, but she didn't really speak Swedish to us, and I never really learned any Swedish, except for one song that she taught my sisters. And so my sisters would sing this song. We'd have some kind of gathering in our home, and my mother would bring my two sisters out and have them sing this song in Swedish. And, you know, they were six or seven years old, and everybody thought it was cute that these two girls were singing this song in Swedish. Well, I'd, I wasn't involved with all of that. I didn't sing it or anything, but I'd heard it enough times that I knew a few words, and I knew how it started. And some of you who are older might remember the song uh, when it's springtime in the Rockies. Well, in Swedish, I thought 
that this song went, Ne'er devore a sea bon blarin for a coma till de do. I thought those were the, that was the first few words of the song. So I looked at this guy across the aisle and I said, you know, I know a little bit of Swedish. I can sing this song to you. <laughs> so I, so right there in the car with these, you know, there wasn't many people there. I looked at him and I said, well, you know, let me just show you. So I sang that, that little bit to him. No recognition of my Swedish whatsoever. <laughs> like he actually said, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> My kids loved it. Like they're just rolling off their chairs in the in the car of the train because I don't know German, I don't know Swedish, I don't know anything. Ah, oh, so I have become the butt of my children's jokes, uh, all because of a trip to Europe. So those of you who are growing older, be careful. And you are all growing older. I've noticed. Um, be careful because it's going to happen to you someday too. If I ask you this question, with absolutely no chance for you to ask any questions back of me, you just have to answer based on what I say, no questions. If I said to you, what did Dorothy want more than anything else? What did Dorothy want more than anything else? You can't ask me any questions. What's the answer? To go home. Yeah. Anybody who's seen The Wizard of Oz knows the answer to the question. Dorothy wanted to go home. I'm crying already. How long have I been back? Here's what I mean when I say that I want to go home. And, and by the way, by the time I got done with what I'm going to do right now, I think the first service was really depressed. So don't get depressed on me here, okay? The Mexican War on Drugs, which started in 2006, has taken 150,000 lives. 150,000 people have died in the Mexican War on Drugs since 2006. That wasn't very long ago. I came here in 2006. 178,000 people have died in armed conflict in the Sudan since 2003. Now, we've got some Sudanese sitting right over here. And they know exactly what I'm talking about. 178,000 of their countrymen have died from armed conflict since 2003. 500,000 people have died in the Somali Civil War, which continues today. It started in 1991. 500,000 people have died in that war. My guess is you didn't even know what was going on. About 500,000 Iraqis have died in Iraq since the U.S. invaded in 2003. 500,000 Iraqis. Aren't we glad that the killing in Iraq has now ended? Of course it hasn't. From the start of the Afghanistan war in 1978, around 1.5 million people were killed in that country. 1.5 million were killed. And here's an amazing figure. Since 1998, 
It's estimated that the armed conflict in the Republic of Congo has resulted in the deaths of 3.8 million people. There's civil war. 3.8 million people have died in the Republic of Congo since 1998. And again, my guess is if I said to you, tell me about the Republic of Congo and the war, you'd say, I don't know what you're talking about. And over 3.5 million people have been killed. That is only six, that's only six situations responsible for the deaths of 6.5 million people. And then, I've got a bunch of this. Listen to this. There are 162 countries in the world. You know how many of those are currently not involved in some kind of armed conflict? 11. 11 countries in the world are not involved in some kind of armed conflict. The United Nations tells us that about 21,000 people die every day from hunger or hunger-related causes. 7.6 million people a year die from hunger-related causes, and 2.6 million of those are children. Two and a half million kids are going to die this year from hunger. You know, one of the things I noticed, I don't know, I just, this boggles my mind. Like we went through so much of Germany and I saw field after field after field after field. Like, I don't know what you think of when you think of Germany, but I didn't think of farming everywhere. But there is, there's an amazing amount of farmland in Germany. It's incredible. And I'm driving through that thinking, man, we could feed the whole world with all this grain. Well, there's 2.6 million children who will die of hunger-related causes. 805 million people struggle daily with hunger. Each year, about 14 million people learn that they have cancer. And of those, each year, 7.6 million people will die. Currently, there are 783 million people who don't have access to clean water in our world. And there are 2.5 billion people who don't have adequate sanitation. Six to eight million people die annually due to water-related problems. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, Kelly, that's encouraging. I'm not sure you should have gone on holidays. Come back and, and simply depress us all. But it's even worse than you think, brothers and sisters. I know it's easy to look things up these days. You can get on the internet and see just about every historical fact you ever wanted to see. One of the things that I learned when I was in Europe, I, I guess I'd learned this at some point in my education, but you know, I hadn't thought about it in a long time. During a five-year span in the 14th century, about 25 million people died due to the black death, black plague. 30%, 30% of Europe was wiped out in five years. One of those groups, by the way, who did very poorly during that time was the clergy, the ministers, because they went to the funerals and they cared for the sick 
and they got the disease. And so after a very short period of time, actually, there was no one to conduct funerals anymore because it was a clergy system. And so within that clergy system, they couldn't have funerals anymore because they'd all died off. During the slave trade that brought Africans to North America, 10.5 million slaves were brought here by boat. And you have read, you've seen the misery they endured. It's estimated that there were 4 million of them who didn't even make it to the boats after they were captured. We live in a tough world. This is a photograph that I took at Dachau. This is about 25 kilometers outside the city of Munich. A conservative estimate would say that 30,000 people died in that camp between 1939 and 45. And they ended up here. And that's because we aren't necessarily good people. And we don't necessarily live in a good world. Now just think about it. All the things that I've just mentioned. I have said nothing about World War I. I've said almost nothing about World War II. I've said nothing about the Korean conflict. I've said nothing about Vietnam. I've said nothing about Cambodia, Cambodia and Pol Pot. I've said nothing about Stalin. And the massacre of his own people. I've said nothing about communist China in 1949. And so all the things I've talked about, as horrible as they are, don't in one sense scratch the surface. None of this includes references to those who are one of the millions that are clinically depressed in our world today. I haven't said anything about the thousands that will commit suicide this year. I've said nothing about the millions of marriages that end in divorce each year and the ones in which spouses are miserable. None of this includes mention of the fact that one in 12 people in our society is an alcoholic. One in 12. You know, it's commonly mentioned that the most difficult the church thing that the church has in converting the world to Christ is that we already have it so good. It makes me wonder if we don't live in a bubble. Despite all the media that we now have available to us, we are incredibly naive and isolated from what life is really like for most of the people in our world. It's amazing. And given all the facts I quoted above about current armed conflicts and about water problems, about hunger and cancer and the impact of drugs and alcohol, it would actually be irrational totally irrational to think that things are going to get much better anytime soon. We live in a world that is impacted horribly by sin and evil at a scale that we really can't even imagine. And we're created in God's image. I know that, but we fell and our world fell. And the continuing agony and the lack of progress humankind has made is almost beyond belief. It's amazing to me in what poor shape our world is in. And we don't sense that here. 
We have a downturn in oil prices and it sounds like and feels like the whole bottom is falling out. But I'm going to have no trouble getting water today. There is no threat to me today that I'm going to die from the black plague. It's just not going to happen. It's just amazing to me just how bad things can be. And so what is the future for us? What's the future for humankind? Let me show you one other picture that I took on our trip, which is, to me, one of the most amazing of all. Look at this picture. Doesn't that amaze you? You know what that is? That's a parking lot. But you'll notice there's a group of people in that parking lot or standing on the edge of it. This is in Berlin. And they're looking at a sign. And the sign that they're reading tells them that below that parking lot, a long way underground, is the remnants of Hitler's bunker. The most powerful man in the world, in one sense you could say almost the most powerful single individual in the history of humankind. This is his legacy. The German people didn't want to make a monument of this. And so they covered it up and they made it a parking lot and they put a little sign on the edge. Humankind, ultimately, isn't going to end in much of a different place than this because of our humanity. He thought he was going to rule the world. He thought everything was going to be absolutely wonderful. But the fact is that at his core, he was evil. And we don't like to talk about the fact that at our core, there's a certain level of evilness that goes along with who we are. But it is still a fact. And we did fall. And our world is crushed because we fell. And so you read these statistics, and it's amazing just how bad things can be. You know, last year when Robin and I went to Portland, um, when her father was dying, we went to care for her dad in his final days. And right at the end, we were able to bring him home. And the fact is that he lived for only a few hours, and in many ways, that was such a blessing. He was done fighting uh, the inevitable. And so when we got him home, he, he didn't live long. And the fact is there was not a great deal of dignity at the end. Although his family loved him, and he loved his family, and in that sense, our love was wonderful. The love could not give him all his dignity as he was having to be cared for even by us at the very end. And now we're, as a family, we're getting ready to go through a second round with having Robin's mother come and stay with us. And I love my mother-in-law. Oh, I love her. And she has been wonderful. She was a fine, fine, godly woman. But she is dying of a disease that is taking away from her her mind. And what, you talk to anybody and you say, what would you rather have? Some kind of physical infirmity or have your mind taken away? And we all say, give us the physical infirmity. 
but give me my wits. And she doesn't have that privilege. So sometimes, I just want to go home. I think about my own sin. I think about your sin. I think about life here and how we aren't what God wants us to be. And I know we're forgiven. But sometimes I just want to get beyond the temptations and beyond the the possibility of sinning. And just live in a, a place that's free of all of that. Now, there's some good news in all of this. You know, for weeks, months now, we've been talking about the kingdom and how God is working something powerful and wonderful in our world, that he wants to change things. He wants to make it different. And he gives us a role and a responsibility and an opportunity to be part of all of that. And it's really wonderful to know that we can be a part of God doing something in our world. We can actually make an impact. And we can pray, and God will bless us, and this can happen. But this morning, I also want to make the point that we have, in some sense, a very depressing kind of reality that we have here. The good thing is that it is provisional. It's not the end. It's interesting that there's a tendency within North American Christianity these days to not talk about heaven. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but young people especially don't want to talk about heaven. They see this as some kind of crutch. An avoidance. There's all these bad things going on in the world. And if we just talk about heaven and going there at the end of life, it looks like we're avoiding all the bad stuff. We don't want to get involved with this, so let's just kind of shove that to the side and talk about how we're all going to heaven when we die. And the young people don't like that. They want us to be much more involved in our world and to bring these kingdom kind of things into our world where there's peace and harmony and blessing. They want us to have an impact, which I totally get. But I have some news for our young people. We are ultimately not going to win this battle here. We can do good things. But from what I can tell, we will not slowly make progress so that we're going to turn our world around and turn it into heaven. There's only one thing that's going to do that. And it's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to come back to our world and he's going to conquer evil and he's going to change everything because he is Lord. And our world is absolutely messed up and Jesus is going to come one day and he's going to absolutely change all of that. And so there are people in this room today, some of your lives are short-lived. I don't know who it is, but... But there is somebody, say, two years from now, who's sitting here right now, who's not going to be here. And it could be me, it could be Shane, it could be John. I don't know who it's going to be, but there's a good chance that it's going to be one of us. We're not going to be here. And Jesus has an answer for you. And he says he's going to make everything new. Listen to these words from Second Peter chapter 3. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it, it all is going to be laid bare. Now listen to that language. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear Paul, brother Paul wrote about. And it's true. It's absolutely true. And so all those things that I said at the beginning that sound so horrible and depressing are simply a description of what's true about our world. But there is a greater truth, a new truth that comes with Jesus. It's going to be a restoration of things. And Jesus is going to do it. Listen to these words from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. And he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. And so it looks like, it sounds like you say all these things, you read these statistics and talk about how horrible things are, and it's all true. Like none of those things that I said is a lie. That's the reality of the picture. But this too is reality. That Jesus will one day restore us to a place of glory. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more agony, no more death. And I look forward to that day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you are one day going to come again. I, I pray right now, um, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and bring the fullness of your kingdom. Establish your place. And, and bring us into it. Give us our home in that mansion. And let us be there with you. Thank you for making this possible. We, we just praise you today for what you are going to bring into our lives at the end. The future of the kingdom. Sir Jesus, we pray. Amen.